For six months leading up to the fall of 1962, the staff at First Baptist Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina worked to drive out an infestation under the sanctuary floor. But over that time, some inside the church had grown fond of the adorable pests. For reasons you can probably understand, a group of feral cats is referred to collectively as, quote, a destruction. And that is exactly what the church had on its hands. Among the strays were a few calico kittens, a brown pussycat, and then the ringleader, a large black tomcat that had earned the pet name of Satan from church members, mainly due to the difficulty of driving him and his ilk away. The cats were seen darting around the premises, even one day turning up inside the console of the church's organ. Then, on Tuesday, November 13, 1962, a fire spread through First Baptist Sanctuary and beyond. Satan and the rest of the cats in the destruction were never seen again. I hope they were not killed, the church's music director told the Greenville News at the time, admitting that he had, quote, become quite attached to Satan and his family. Hey y'all, welcome to the third installment in the four-part series, The Devil You Know, a modern history of satanic panic in South Carolina, written and recorded by me, Dustin Waters, special to the Charleston City Paper. Enjoy. In March of 1973, around four years after her father had first published the Satanic Bible, Carla LeVay arrived at Wofford College in Spartanburg. Leaning back in a chair on stage before an auditorium of onlookers, wearing knee-high go-go boots and a miniskirt, Carla is thin and tall, with long dark hair and a large pendant dangling from her neck. She pushes her hair back behind her ear as a photographer catches a look of enjoyment and mischief breaking across her face. It's the same look you see on a house cat as it toys with its prey. Age 22, a self-proclaimed witch and member of the Church of Satan, LaVey was invited to Wofford as a part of the spring semester emphasis on man's religious experience in the 20th century. She's met with stunned looks as she rejects the notion that humans are the only earthly creatures with souls, suggesting that we are just animals, and often the most vicious of all. She explains that the Church of Satan, despite popular belief, does not practice human sacrifices. LaVey is repeatedly interrupted by members of the audience rushing the stage with Bibles in hand, demanding she stop speaking. Undeterred, LaVey tells the crowd that her father founded the Church of Satan as a result of the tragedies he witnessed as a police photographer in California, saying, My father saw bodies lying in pools of blood on the highway while babies cried for their dead parents. He thought that if these acts were the will of God, then God must be a pretty thoughtless guy. Meanwhile, celebrity pastor Billy Graham's columns were featured regularly in South Carolina newspapers throughout the 70s and 80s. In August 1972, Graham responded to a reader's letter claiming that her 17-year-old daughter was acting strangely and possibly involved in witchcraft. Graham responded by saying that Satan worship and witchcraft were experiencing a boom in America, which he would go on to attribute to the trend of sexual freedom spreading across the country. 
The Vietnam War is not the longest war in history, Graham wrote. It is the battle between good and evil that has waged through the centuries. Just six months after Carla LeVay spoke at Wofford, parents would see the devil invade an all-girls private school on network TV. Premiering September 19, 1973, Satan's School for Girls aired on the ABC network. Telling the story of a young woman investigating her sister's apparent suicide at the Salem Academy for Women, the TV movie of the week ended with a coven of finishing school students immolating themselves along with the devil. By year's end, The Exorcist was shocking theatergoers, and if parents weren't already worried about their children falling prey to the devil, they were now. That same year, satanic sacrifices would become an all-too-real fear in upstate South Carolina, as a Greenville teenager faced trial for first-degree murder in Florida. David O. Hester, age 17, was ordered to stand trial on October 15, 1973 for the death of Michael Ross Cochran. Just on the cusp of adulthood, Cochran was a carnival worker on the boardwalk in Daytona Beach. It was in April that he was brought back to a large house that local police believed to be home to a small cult known as the Devil's Children. There, police said he was tortured for eight hours before his body was abandoned in the woods 15 miles west of Daytona Beach. Hester, raised in a devoted Baptist family in Greenville, was said to be the cult's head priest and responsible for delivering the killing blow. South Carolina readers followed along as reports of one of their own allegedly leading a satanic sacrifice hit the pages of their local papers. By the time Hester stood trial, members of his supposed cult were already turning on each other. Among them was 22-year-old Deborah Shook of New Jersey, who testified against Hester in exchange for reduced charges. According to Shook, she and a fellow cult member were married in a satanic ritual, which ended in the two stripping naked and copulating before their fellow cult members. She described Hester as a, quote, warlock who has the greatest knowledge of the religion. Hester, on the other hand, had a different story. He claimed to be under the influence of drugs at the time of the murder, saying, when I'm high, I'm aggressive. According to the defense, Hester struck the victim in the head in an attempt to render him unconscious in hopes of rescuing Cochran later. In a pre-sentencing hearing, a psychiatrist testified that Hester was not legally insane, but should be considered a schizoid with definite antisocial tendencies. The psychiatrist went on to tell the judge that she suspected Hester had experienced early brain damage which went untreated and was aggravated by drug abuse. Hester was sentenced to life in prison on October 19, 1973. By the start of the 1980s, fears began to spread of subliminal messages hidden in popular songs. Allegations rose that if Stairway to Heaven was played backwards, listeners would hear the words, I will sing because I live with Satan, and there's no escaping it, my sweet Satan. The one will be the sad one who makes me sad, whose power is Satan. Meanwhile, Billy Graham was still informing South Carolina readers that illicit drug use was linked to the literal devil. Everywhere people looked, there was the devil, ready to spoil your child's mind. Quote, It sort of started in 
80 or 81, really, because you had that whole thing with kids going missing. That was when you had the first milk carton kids. There was this idea that people were after your children, says author Grady Hendricks, explaining his own experience with the rise of satanic panic in the Charleston area. I was born in 72, and I grew up in the old village in Mount Pleasant. I remember, basically in the summer, you didn't come in the house. I was sort of one of the last generations where that was true. Satanic Panic, a screenplay written by Hendrix, finished filming last year. It tells the story of a gated community of satanic one-percenters who grow hungry during an evil ceremony. It's at this point that the cultists order a pizza, only to find the delivery girl is just the virgin they need to finalize their ritual. Despite this subject matter, it's Hendrix's most recent novel, the heavy metal horror installment, We Sold Our Souls, that he feels best encompasses his thoughts on these unkillable satanic conspiracies. For me, that was the book where I was really talking about this stuff in a more serious way, or as serious as you can do in a book about a heavy metal band in the 90s. But this idea about what has value it really felt like the equivalent of the 15th century or 16th century Christian worldview of a world where physical events are shaped by invisible forces, Hendricks explains. Angels and demons and this war between good and evil. The equivalent of that now is that people believe the world is shaped by these conspiracies. The New World Order is driving everything. The Jews are driving everything. Whatever it is. It usually ends up being the Jews with a lot of these conspiracies. The idea that we feel like we don't have power over the world, and that there are these powerful forces out there. Hendricks recalls teachers at Porter Goud warning students of LSD-soaked Halloween treats and local hospitals scanning for candy stuffed with AIDS-infected needles, razor blades, and broken glass. The stories of cult abductions and child poisonings became even more absurd when Hendricks realized that they weren't going away. Police officers believed them and took them seriously. Judges took them seriously. Juries took them seriously. Newspaper editors took them seriously. It felt like everyone had sort of lost their minds, he says. You couple that with the fact that if you grew up in the 70s, and it's absurd to think of now, but you grew up really feeling that there was a 50-50 chance that you would die in a nuclear war before you were 18. By October 1985, police in upstate South Carolina were preparing to shift into full alert for Halloween night. They believed that evidence supported devil worship among teens in and around the Gaffney area. Earlier in August, Gaffney police inspected an abandoned two-story building to find 666 and inverted crosses scrawled across the walls. Reports also described a desk covered in candles and several small nooses, which according to one officer, quote, might have been large enough for an animal's neck. From time to time, we have this talk spring up about devil worship and some teenagers participating in it. But we don't have anything concrete at this particular time, the chief of police told the Gaffney Ledger in 1985. We have found in the past that it has been limited to a few kids and has not presented any major problems, but we always watch it very closely. Remarkably, the Gaffney Ledger went on to quote an unidentified 19-year-old who claimed that local teens were into devil worship and routinely ordered ritualistic instructional manuals through the mail. 
Asked by a reporter if other students were concerned about their satanic peers, he said, quote, Most of them were just considered a little weird. On the eve of Halloween that year, Gaffney police and agencies in surrounding counties were out in full force to prevent any mishaps. Reports had emerged of adults overreacting and parents planning on arming themselves as they ventured out to trick-or-treat with their kids. Local police asked the citizens to leave their firearms at home this Halloween, but still called on parents to check their kids' candy for razor blades, needles, and syringes. Soon enough, maintaining order during a satanic uprising would become a popular concern among police throughout South Carolina, one they'd be able to study in full. Thanks for listening. This has been the third installment in the four-part series, The Devil You Know, a modern history of satanic panic in South Carolina. Please check back for the series conclusion where we'll examine the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy's course on Satanism, follow the spread of fear across the state, and wrap things up with a message from the Church of Satan. I hope you've enjoyed.